Amen. Thank you, George. And, and thank you, Ken, for sharing that. I, you know, I've had the privilege of being around many of you long enough to, man, I can tell a lot of stories of just how I felt loved by you. And, you know, I hear all these preacher stories, these nightmare stories. It's not been my story here. And you're the reason for that. Thank you for that. Matter of fact, that uh, verse that uh, Ken read, Hebrews 10.24, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The next verse, you guys know, you may not realize it. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you for not giving up the habit of meeting together. For coming to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and to do it with, with me and the rest of us. Thank you for that. All right. Thank you, Ken. I hate to tell you guys, uh, another sermon coming. I'm trying to do cliff notes. We'll see. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, if you'll stand in our great God's honor. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, we are grateful today as we think of those who chose, Lord, to live for a cause greater than their own lives and ended up losing their lives for that cause, Lord. How can we not think of our Savior who gave his life for a cause? And that cause is us. Thank you for that, oh God. Thank you for the soldiers before us. Thank you for the Savior who made life after this one possible. We just worship you. Thank you for the encouragement you give us through the body of Christ. And Lord, through your example. So speak to our hearts for the few minutes remaining. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, chapter 12 starts out and it tells us that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Well, who are these witnesses? Well, you go back to chapter 11 and don't worry, I won't read all of chapter 11. But it gives us a list of names and guys that came from different generations. Uh, they lived in different times, uh, different ages, uh, you know, men, women, different ones. But the one thing they had in common, 19 times in Hebrews chapter 11, it says by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And don't worry, I won't say it 19 times. But it says over and over again, by faith. That is what was shared. And Hebrews 11 starts out, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6, it tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith was crucial, and it was a part of each of these prior witnesses. 
And it's, I just want to read to you just a couple of verses from that chapter, starting at verse 13. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These heroes had their eyes set on a better place. Those soldiers that died in another land certainly dreamed of their home. And in Christ, those that knew Christ headed toward their true home, to a heavenly home. And so did these in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this is how the chapter ends. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They lived by faith. They were not perfect, but it says they were made perfect. With who? With us. And how is that possible? Through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus Christ. Are we made able to enter into heaven? Because our sacrifices don't cut it, but His, the perfect sacrifice, fully did. He is our supreme example, the one we follow. I think of that. That chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And, and this world will go strangely dim as we keep our eyes on him. First John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And oh, how he did walk. We're to be like Christ. We're to look to Christ. He is the example. Second, I want you to notice he faced the unbearable. What did he face? Notice what it says in our text. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He faced the cross. He endured the cross. He persevered the cross. The word means to bear up under that pain, that difficulty. And he continued to persevere. I think of the story of, of Thomas Edison who was looking for a filament for the light bulb. And he used 200 different substances to try to find what would work in the light bulb. And as a matter of fact, I'll just share this real quickly. My uh, family sort of claimed to fame, but not really, uh, in my hometown, uh, there is a zircon mine. One of those 200 filaments that Thomas Edison wanted to use, hopefully, in creating the light bulb was zirconium. And so my family got involved, not directly with Thomas Edison, but with William Earl Hidden, who was one of his top men, who came to, uh, to Tuxedo, North Carolina, to, to uh, get the zir zirconium out of the mind, see if it'll work in a light bulb. Well, it was one of those 200 failures. But anyway, that, that's, that's enough of my short fame in history. Uh, it didn't work. So, so finally, um, Edison's workers came to him and they said, man, you've tried 200 things. 
Maybe you ought to try something different. Invent something else. And you know what he says? Hey, what are you talking about? We've come so far, we've found 200 things that won't work. We will find out. And we must continue to persevere, to follow the Lord. You, you see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians 1.18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Continue by faith and continue in Christ. And how did Christ continue? He did it, guys, by focusing on the joyful. Notice what it says here. It says in the text, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. Excruciating from cross was a nightmare. It was horrific. It, it was a fine-tuned form of persecution to see how much a person could endure in pain before actually dying. They wanted to extend the level of suffering, excruciating from the cross. And Jesus experienced the cross. I remember watching years ago The Passion, Mel Gibson's movie. And in one way, I was transfixed because I couldn't take my eyes away from the screen, but in other ways, I also couldn't stand looking at those horrific images, and I found myself turning away from the screen at the theater because it was just too hard for me to bear. But yet he did not turn away. He stayed up on that cross. And guys, he, he died for us. How can there be joy in this? Where is this joy of the one who died? What is his joy set before him at the cross? Uh, Turn me briefly to Isaiah 53, uh, the prophet Isaiah, one of my favorite chapters in the scriptures, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth in human form, and it describes him so beautifully, this chapter. But look at verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, that's the cross. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. There's satisfaction. There's a joy. The pain of the cross, it wasn't just the suffering. It wasn't just the pain. It wasn't just the excruciating circumstances that was the reason of the cross. It was for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy? Look as it goes on in verse 11. It says, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear did you catch it? Do you get it? He bore our sin upon the cross. He took upon himself our iniquities. And the result is that we are justified. We are not held accountable for our sins. That which we have committed, that which we are committing, that which we will commit. He bore them at the cross. And so what's the joy? He saved you. He's able to look down through history and he says, Oh, that Todd Freeman, he's a scoundrel. But I'm going to die for him at the cross. And he could say that about each of us by name. That was the joy that was before him. To know that we would be restored in perfect fellowship and communion with the living God. That our sins would not hold us accountable. But he would take them fully upon himself. Another verse. 
Jude, verse 24, there's only one chapter, so we don't say a chapter. <laughs> but verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Now, don't misread this. He is not talking about my joy or your joy, but to present you, all of us, he's able to do that from stumbling. As we get before the, as we get before the heavenly Father, not to stumble, but to present us with his glorious presence without fault. And it's his great joy to be able to say, Oh, dear heavenly Father, this one that was torn apart from you because of sin has now been restored, healed, whole in your sight. And this brought Jesus the ultimate joy. Now, the word here that's used in this text back in Romans chapter 12, race, is the Greek word from which we get our word agony. Yes, the cross was agonizing, but it resulted in joy. Now, a picture of this I thought of a, when my youngest son played soccer. There was this girl on the team named Steli May. And Steli May was the slowest child on that soccer team. Man, she was slow. I mean, she was way behind everybody else. But the thing about Steli May was the agonization, if that's a word, on her face. Man, she might not have ran fast, but she looked like she was running as hard as she could. She agonized. And, and hey, look, you may not feel like you're much of a Christian. You may be disappointed in your behavior. You may be disappointed in how weak you are at times in your walk and how your love for Christ just seems so small. And maybe you agonize over that. But understand this, the race that you are running at times where you feel so weak, Jesus has already won. Jesus ran that race for us. And so that brings us to this last point here. Jesus finished the race. But look, uh, look at verse 2 um, with me back in Hebrews. About the preaching, I lost my place. Or I'll just read it from here and show it back up in a minute. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, he scorned its shame for the joy set before him, and then what happened? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God after he was resurrected. He, 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 there was victory. Now, I share this uh, with you, the, the beauty of the book of Hebrews, the key word in there is the word better. You see, it talks about the ways of worship in the Jewish tradition. 
it, it says that we have something far better. We have a better sacrifice in Christ. We have a better covenant in Christ. We have better promises through Christ. We have a better priesthood in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the greatest high priest, far better <laughs> than any other priest. What makes Jesus better? Because he sat down. He was God. He was human. You know, there were many furnishings in that inner room where the high priest would enter once a year. But there wasn't a chair. Why wasn't there a chair? Because the work was constant. The sins were many. And the forgiveness did not last. The sacrifices were temporal. So there was no time for the priest to sit down because he was constantly busy. There was a continual job to do. But when the sacrifice of Jesus took place, there was no more work to be done. He could finally sit. He, he was victorious. And thus we are victorious it, it was estimated that the time of atonement every year 250,000 lambs were sacrificed and that happened year after year after year uh, listen this is Hebrews chapter 10 verse 11 day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin can never take away sin. But this better high priest, he took all our sins with his one and perfect, never-ending sacrifice. You see, here's the difference. Religion is a stand-up religion. I got to be busy. I got to be moving. I got work to do. I got to appease God. I got to make things right. But Christianity, it's a sit-down religion because Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and it's finished. It's complete. We are victorious. We are forgiven. Heaven is our home and we are headed there. Not on the basis of our stand-up work, but on the basis of his sit-down victory. Guys, that's what we have. Hebrews 7, 25. Great verse, staying in Hebrews here. <laughs> Therefore, he is able to save completely. I like that, completely. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. What a great picture. He has saved us completely. But you know what? He loves us. It's still not a done deal. He always lives to intercede for us. He is always praying for us. He is always there for us. He never leaves or forsakes us. Guys, He is with us. It is secure. And it's good stuff, is it not? All right. As the mountaineers say, stick a fork in me, I'm almost done. Um, not quite. I'm going to close with this poem by Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India. And I'm just going to read the last stanza of this poem. And it's to make us think, um, I've spent this time talking about the better, perfect sacrifice of Christ. But that sacrifice, as Ken so beautifully told us, 
should spur us on toward love and good deeds. Man, people should be able to see Christ in us. We should be a testament to the good news of Jesus Christ. Our lives should be. So I want you to listen to this last stanza of her poem. It's called No Scar. As we think about how we are called to really follow Jesus. Listen. No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? God, we come on the basis of the one who has wounds and scars to show. Because you died for us. What is our call? What do you want to do in our lives? And this is a time to consecrate ourselves to you. Maybe someone here today or someone listening today, this is the time to trust the better way, the better sacrifice, the better promise of Jesus Christ. To receive that forgiveness, that finished work, but to sit down in heaven work that he accomplished. Father, may, may anyone come who is called, let him that's thirsty come and drink of the water of life. Lord, that's what we ask. And God, with an altar that is open, Father, may we come if you burdened our hearts, and may we pray in response to that, Lord. And Father, there are some definite burdens that we all have. But Father, may we run to you. God, we just want you to have the glory in this service today. So as we close, Father, I know that's one thing we want. We want you to get the glory. So give it, Lord. In Christ's name.